The scripture text for this sermon is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Starting in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's pray. I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the miry pit and out of the desolate bog. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So, Father, I pray that everyone would understand their pit time as evangelism preparation. And that you would make our people so firm on a rock and so joyful in their mouths and so patient in suffering that many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are ending our series on regeneration, the biblical truth that God causes people to be born again. We're to end it on the ground, on the street, in the car, at Dunn Brothers, in the backyard, in school, at work, at school, with friends, on the phone, on Facebook, on MySpace, text messaging, Skyping, blogging, on airplanes, a hundred ordinary conversations. We're ending it with personal evangelism, an old commitment in new contexts for the sake of thousands of spiritually dead people to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's where we're 
ending it. Last week, we reaffirmed the truth of 1 Peter 1.23. We have been born again, or God has caused us to be born again through the living and abiding Word of God. And the clarifying verse 25, that word is the gospel which was preached to you. And therefore, we drew out the simple implication that if you ask the question, what should we be doing to help people be born again? The answer is, tell them the gospel from a heart of love and a life of service. That was the point last time. All I want to do this time is to reaffirm that with another text or two and then spend the rest of our time talking about encouragements and practical on the ground, on the phone, in the school applications that might help you. Okay? So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 just to underline the point from last week because it's the most important implication for life of the series, namely that God causes the new birth through the Word of God in your mouth. That's amazing. It's amazing that the miracle of the new birth is wrought through the Word of God, which is a gospel in the mouth of ordinary people. The gospel. God sends his son into the world, the God-man, really man, really God, really human, really divine, lives a perfect life, fulfills the whole law, dies in the place of sinners intentionally, absorbs all the wrath of God against those who believe in him, takes away all their guilt, forgives all their sins, rises from the dead triumphant over death and hell and Satan, sins, rules with power from on high, will come again, give eternal life, raise from the dead all those who've trusted in him. There is no better news. Remember, I paused at this point last week and said, anybody want to make any suggestions of better news? And one guy stood up at the back and said, for me! which was no contradiction to what I was trying to say, and I was glad to hear it. There isn't any better news in the world than the gospel. None. You never need to be ashamed of this. It cannot be improved upon what Christ has done for us. So that's the gospel What's our condition? There's a little review here. Here we are, chapter 4, verse 4 of of, uh, 2 Corinthians. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's a very painful statement to say. If you have a, a son, a daughter, a dad, a brother, an uncle, a friend who's in that condition. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, there's that word, 
glorious truth, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image. In other words, Christ's glory, Christ's beautiful worth and power and wisdom and justice, the totality of his excellence is seen in and through the gospel. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, and people are blind to it. Therefore, they're not saved. And they need a work of God. That's number one. Number two, what's the work of God? What's the solution? Verse six. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That means he's the creator. Remember chapter one of Genesis. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has done a similar kind of thing in our heart, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that's a description of the new birth. Didn't use the words. That's the reality. Your hearts are blind, dark, dead. You can't see. You you hear the gospel boring and mythological and irrelevant and don't want anything to do with it. And then something happens. Happened to most of you. Couldn't explain it. You knew the pieces that God began to gather. But that final, that final something when the heart no longer stiff-armed God. No longer. Just, I believe. Lights went on. He, he ceased to be boring. He ceased to be mythological. He ceased to be irrelevant. He became treasure. He became Lord. He became Savior. He became desperately needed. He fit. Everything began to make sense. The whole world changed as all the pieces began to fall into place. That's the new birth. Or having the light go on by God shining in our hearts. Number three. So first the condition, then the the work that needs to change it, and now the means. Verse five. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servant. Between the problem and the solution comes this word about what Paul does about it. What he does about it. He can't make light go into any heart. He can't make it happen. But he knows what he can do. He can open his mouth and proclaim Jesus and offer himself in a life of service from a heart of love. And God does the rest. What's the point of uh, sending people out if they can't do anything, decisive, final. God uses means. God uses means. So I'm praying. Kenny prayed that God would fill our church with a passion to open the eyes of the blind. A passion to be used, to be used by God, to open the eyes of the blind. I was going to spend a lot of time on Acts 26. I'm only going to read one verse from it. 
save time for these practical applications. Paul heard the risen Christ say these words on the Damascus Road, I send you to open their eyes. I think that applies to all of you, more or less. I send you to open your mom's eyes, your son's eyes, your uncle's eyes, your colleague's eyes, your neighbor's eyes, your friend's eyes, who are totally blind right now and totally disinterested in everything you stand for religiously. God sends you to open their eyes, to which you would then respond, understandably, but I can't. So why are you sending me? I can't. You've all known this. You sit across the table from the one you love. You share the gospel over and over. And and the, the darkness, the indifference, the deadness, the spiritual imperceptiveness is so frightening. You wonder, will it ever change? Oh, God, let it change. I can't get through. And Jesus says to Paul, I send you to open their eyes. Don't let that stop you that you can't do it. You can't make electricity or create light. And that has never stopped you from flipping switches. You can't create fire in cylinders. And that has never stopped you from turning car keys. You can't create cell tissue. And that's never stopped you from eating food. Because none of those other things are going to happen if you don't do it. There are means in the world God has ordained to bring about ends that you can't achieve. People are born again through the living and abiding word of God. And you're called with me to speak it, say it. Tell the people. So here we are, and I have ten applications. I have ten encouragements and practical applications. Number one, some of them are more uh, emotionally encouraging. Others are, you know, things like this. But we'll see what we can do here. And I'm so keenly aware that a hundred good things I will not say that could be said. What would be really, really interesting is just have a parade of people come across your life and have them tell you how it happened for them. And they'd all be different. Every one of them would be different. So my, my little ten are so piddly inadequate for the array of means of means that God is willing to use. Now, number one, back to verse seven, which we didn't yet read. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We don't usually read this in context. Let's only make the context clear. He has just said that uh, sinners are blind, blinded by the devil, by their own sin, and they need to see the light of... This is verse 
Six, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that is called the light of the gospel. In verse four, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So verse seven now says, but we have this treasure. The question is, what's the treasure? We have this treasure in jars of clay so that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure. What's the treasure? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ or the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You have the gospel in you. You have the knowledge of Christ in you. You have the experienced gospel in you. Not just some academic story that you memorized. It has become true for you. It's become your life. It's your daily bread. You preach it to yourself in the morning to get out of bed so that you're not oppressed by guilt. This is your life. That's what's in you. The gospel is in you radiating the beauty of Christ and becoming your life. That's the treasure that you have within you. Now, here's the encouragement. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Compared to the treasure, we are clay pots. I don't care how intelligent you are, how beautiful you are, how strong you are. Compared to the treasure, you're a clay pot. We're not gold. The gospel is gold. We're not silver. The news about Christ is silver. We're not bronze. The power of Christ is bronze. This means that if you feel average or below average in your fitness to share the gospel, which most of you do, I would assume, you feel just (laughs) me. (laughs) Tell this story. Get up the courage to tell this story at work or school. Make it what you do and share time in the fifth grade. If you feel that way, this text says that you are closer to the truth than those who feel strong and wise and self-sufficient. And Paul wants it to be that way. He's writing verse 7 for our encouragement. He's telling the truth. He, He He's saying, I want you to know you're all clay pots. We're all clay pots. Not gold, not silver, not crystal. He wants us to realize that we're not sophisticated. We're just average. We're clay pots. And so when it comes to sharing the gospel, we feel inadequate. A clay pot would feel inadequate to say, I'm about to pour the most valuable substance into your life. A clay pot would, I would think, feel a little odd about that. Ever felt odd? I'm about to talk about the most important thing in the world for your soul. A clay pot feels, hmm, I'm not sure that I fit here. This should be a chalice. There should be something more significant than this. And and then he tells us, so what's with the clay pot, Paul? What's the plan here? And and he then he you read the rest of the verse and you see why. 
we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God's aim is to get the glory for their salvation and not you. So you should really relax about this. In fact, you should glory in your averageness. You might get in the way if you're too smart, too eloquent, too bold, too strong by nature. You just might start looking like you're able and you're taking some credit here. That's not the way God wants it done. He chose the weak things of the world and the foolish things of the world that he might put to naught the wise and chose things that are not that he might put to naught the things that are because he means to get the credit and the glory for saving sinners through clay pots. It will make you very happy to see it happen. It will. I promise you, it will be the happiest day of your life if God is pleased to make it happen through your clay pot, bumbling, average, ordinary effort. But that's why he emphasizes the clay pot. Simply share the gospel. Tell the news, not with glitzy intellect or glitzy eloquence or glitzy beauty or glitzy strength or glitzy cultural relevance, sounding so hip and cool that you get in the way. The gospel is not cool. It's just dynamite. Blows people to smithereens for Jesus. Changes their life forever. But it, it's not clever. It's not hip. It doesn't change with the tides. Sad to see spokesmen of the eternal message trying to sound so cool that they're next week out of it. The God will do his work through the gospel and the surpassing power will belong to him. So, encouragement number one, uh, be encouraged, ordinary Christian. If you think when this series is over, you've got to be a systematic theologian, or you've got to be eloquent, or you've got to have X amount of education, or you've got to whatever in order to be used by the living God to bring about the new birth, you just missed it. He missed it. We have this treasure in clay pots so that the surpassing power will belong to him. Just open your mouth and say what you can say and let him use it. That's all. Number two. After this, these services, all of them on three campuses are done, including tonight and in the morning, there will be available huge bucket loads of resources for you to take, including these three. This is a uh, DVD called Quest for Joy. It opens on three panels with the uh, six truths, and then there's a message by me in there. That's one. We have that to give away. This is the Quest for Joy tract that 
I wrote, and this is the lengthened version of about uh, 40 pages called For Your Joy. I carry these around pretty much everywhere I go. On the airplane, on the way back from Wales, what, day before yesterday, David and I were able to give a man named Peter one of these. Not a believer as far as we could discern. David was sitting here and he was there and I was here and that conversation was going really well. David unpacked Romans 6.23 for him, drew it in the air. It's just a, a wonderful thing. Uh, I could tell you more stories about those airplane encounters that we had, but those are three that are out there. We, we developed all those at Bethlehem, and there are things that are just as good and better, things that God has blessed more. I just put those there because I can get those free, and you can have them free. Um, so grab what you think you might use. Put them in your pocket, put them in your purse, put them in your briefcase, put them in the glove compartment of your car, put them everywhere. In other words, the the main thing here is a mindset change. Most of us coast and and wake up every now and then because of a sermon like this to say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be doing more. And what we want is a mindset of daily eagerness for opportunities, just daily eagerness. So you're asking the Lord in the morning, Lord, you know me, clay pot me, here I am again, please make me useful in the word being spread in the Twin Cities. I I want to be a heart of love and a life of service and a mouth telling the story, so I will now carry a few things around just in case that will be useful today. That's all. That's number two. Number three. Keep in mind that what you say at any time is only part of the influence that God is providentially bringing to bear on that person's life. We get into the all or nothing mindset. Like if if I talk, I got to say everything and I got to close the the deal or this has been a wasted encounter. It is never a wasted encounter. Any truth spoken in the name of Jesus for the good of a person is never wasted. And I'm not saying that out of my head. I'm saying it out of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. That keeps me going. I'm never good at this. I'm always doing better in my head when it's over than in the time that I do it. And so I'm just always saying, I'm trusting you. That was C minus today when I spoke. I could have said this, could have said this, could have said this. It didn't come to my mind. So take that, almighty God, and use it for your glory. And and the Lord will because he's got somebody else planned. And then another person and another person. I've heard so many stories of conversions about the most wacko comments getting people saved. <laughs> I had a girl tell me one time, she's walking down the beach, three guys, big macho guys come by, and they said, pray Jesus. They just kept walking. Bang! She was converted. It's like that. <laughs> Be- because, because, and it was a real lasting conversion. She's telling us this many years later. 
because of everything else in her life, right? There had been a a bunch of clay pots, probably a thousand of them, over her 18 years that had just poured their lives into her one way or the other. And she is out just rebelling like crazy until she, out of the blue, hears God's voice in the mouth of this guy. Praise Jesus. Now, he probably thought that night, I could have done a lot better. (laughs) It's never wasted. Speak your word, the smallest word for Christ. Other people are in this with you. Number four, be a lavish giver. Be known as generous. Tip big. Give at the door. Get a reputation as a giver. The Bible says, Jesus says, Luke 6.35, now you're in the neighborhood and you've got lots of tools in your garage. Lend, expecting nothing in return. That's what Jesus said. Can I borrow your rake? Oh, but uh, will they bring it back? Wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. Of course you can, you can use my rake. No questions asked. Christians are not tight. They're loose. They let things go quick, easy. This world is not our home. That's the reputation you want. I give. My, my life is giving. So, apply that to books, for example. Give Christian books away that cost seven or ten or fifteen or thirty dollars and give them away because they meant something to you or because you know the person what they like. So my wife loves this book, just was published, about Lilius Trotter, a former missionary who was an artist. And this is a magnificent, absolutely magnificent a collection of her art and her testimony, this one reading here, measure thy life by loss and not by gain, not by the wine drunk, but by the wine poured forth. For love's strength standeth in love's sacrifice, and he who suffers most has most to give. That book costs $30, 20 at Amazon. Do you know any artists who are not believers? You know any artists? You read this and you pay 20 bucks for this beautiful book. And you say to them, this woman, both her art and her testimony about God has meant a great deal to me. Maybe it would to you. Can I give you this as a gift? That's powerful. Um, There are cheaper books like mine. (laughs) I've only written two books explicitly with unbelievers in mind. This one, Seeing and Savoring Jesus, real cheap. I don't know what they sell it for. If you don't have money, we'll give it to you. 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. So here's what I do. I stick... 
buy four of these in my briefcase every time I travel, unless I'm blowing it because I'm under pressure in the morning and I forget. And my strategy is simply to give them away before I come home. So I'm a pastor. It's pretty easy to get in conversation, say, hi, you find your home or leaving home. That's my kind of lead in line. And because uh, I'd like to talk to this person and it sometimes it goes quick to what do you do and what do you do? And now you're a pastor. Mm, it's it's over. <laughs> but even if it's over, I let it go. And near the end, I grab one of my books. Pray, Lord. And I say to him, uh, I, I've written a couple of books and I would love to give you one. Would you let me give you a book about Christ? I don't think I've ever been said no. You can tell they're awkward. <laughs> but they've got another leg of their trip. I usually say we did that with Peter on the airplane coming out. We gave him this because I had forgotten that. And we gave him this, which is not as impressive. That looks like a free book. This, this looks like it costs at least $5. So there's some sacrifice in it. Give, 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 give. Buy and give, buy and give, buy and give. Ephesians 4.29. Let the thief no longer steal, but work with his hands that he may have to give who, to him who is in need. Isn't that amazing? We work to get to give. We work to get to give. We work to get to give. That's our life. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We're into blessing. That's number, number four. Be a lavish giver and give lots of books away. Number five. Be encouraged that simply finding people interesting and caring about them is a beautiful pathway into their hearts. Now, this is hard because this implies you be a kind of person. But it's important that many Christians become this. We should all be this way. Not all of us are this way. Let me say it again. Find people interesting. They are. We're just busy. And so we don't take the time to... They, you're, you are never, never standing in front of a human being who's not interesting. Ever. Ever. They are created in the image of God, and whether 18 or 8 or 80, a thousand interesting things have happened to them. Nobody's interested in them. Nobody asks them their interesting stories they have to tell from when they were a kid. Or how they got that scar on their face. Or how anything happened to them. Nobody's interested. What if you were? What if you found them really interesting? You're a human being. You're created in the image of God. You're not on the planet by mistake. Things not, have not happened to you except by the providence of God. If, Chris, if anybody should be interested in other human beings, it should be Christians who believe they're all created in God's image and they're all on the planet for a reason... 
And just by your interest, you're communicating, you, you must think I'm here for something. You must think you have something to learn from me. Well, you bet I do. You are a human being. You're a center of consciousness. You have an access to God that I don't have. You are different. You're outside of me. I don't want to be just an inside reflection of myself. I want to get out of me. And you're there, so I'm into you. That would be unusual. That would be unusual. They, they would say, yeah. Uh, my mother was, and my dad, and my sister, and and if you're real, I'm not talking clever strategy here, okay? I'm talking you're really interested, and you care about their souls. I don't think there's an artificial division here. Like, well, I'm really interested, but I don't care about telling them the gospel. That's just hogwash. Really interested, but not care about the gospel. Of course you care about both. And a door into your heart might be opened if you're interested in their heart. And if the door into your heart gets opened, what are they going to find there? They're going to find the treasure. So, that's not easy. It's not me. I, I, uh, I don't know if, if the Lord, you know, I've got one of these. This is a smartphone. I'm not sure that's a good word for it. Because I, it runs my life. It's got, a, it's got a calendar in it, okay? And it syncs with my assistance calendar. So my life is here. And it's pretty full. And so is everybody else's, which is one of the reasons we don't ever pause to be interested in anybody. We're going somewhere. I'm going to church. Sorry, uh, beat up guy on the road from Samaria. That was number five. Number six, be encouraged that on Tuesday nights at the uh, South Campus with Elijah Layfield and here with Justin and some others, uh, downtown, there is a evangelism training and frontline action ministry eager to have you come. So I asked Justin to write me a note telling me what I should say about it. 6.30 every Tuesday night and Thursdays, South Campus. He wrote this. Our mission is to ignite and spread a passion for Jesus Christ through the joy of evangelism. We meet on Tuesday nights downtown, 6.30, in the commons for worship, prayer, uh, word. And on Thursday, 6.30, at the Southside Building, 501 Suite 110, with Elijah Layfield, we will train new evangelists and then, then team, up with them with exper- team them up with experienced evangelists. This is an excellent opportunity to learn how to better articulate and share the gospel of Christ. Our deepest desire... And prayer is that the gospel of Jesus would be spread through the lives of the saints at Bethlehem. We're here to make, we're here to help them make that vision and desire of God a reality in the lives of those at Bethlehem. 
This is an opportunity to be equipped, impassioned, emboldened, filled with joy for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May many of us come and ignite and spread a passion for Christ's glory in our families, our neighborhoods, our cities, our nation, and our world. Again, Tuesday at 6.30 in the Commons, um, Thursday, uh, Southside Building 501, we will be ready and praying for more laborers to ignite and spread a passion for Jesus through the joy of evangelism for Christ's glory and the joy of the saints. Justin Hoover, 651-635-8968. Thank you, Justin. These are wild and crazy people who meet on Tuesday night, and I love them just like I love Jews for Jesus. I want to be like them. Talk about the gospel, then they go out. And they talk to people, malls, parks, wherever. University, I went with them once over to uh, the university, walk up to somebody at a table and you start talking and they'll tell you how. I was praying downstairs with the group and we, one of our prayers was, Lord, wouldn't it be wonderful if you would cause the emotions that we have after we share the gospel with somebody to be present before we share the gospel with them. <laughs> and just the emotions we have before, they could just go to hell, okay? which is where they're from. So whether you think that you'll be doing cold turkey, loving, confronting evangelism all the time, everybody ought to try this. You know what faith is? One of the things that faith is? By faith, this is Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. Going out, not knowing where he was going. So if you say, but what if, but what if, but what if, but what, but what? That's the point. <laughs> you don't know. You get it? If you only take steps that you know exactly everything that happens when you put the foot down, that's not faith. You don't know what's going to happen. He's there. He's alive. He reigns. Isn't that great to live a life that way? And this Tuesday night thing will teach you that. Number seven. I put it seven, not first, lest anybody accuse me of this old-fashioned chicken way of doing evangelism. Invite people to church. It's not the main way to do evangelism. No way would I think of myself as the only way that the gospel can be shared in this church. I'm not the only way, but I am one. And the songs are one, and the prayers are one, and the atmosphere is one, and, and some of the huge obstacle people feel like, yeah, what do those Christians do when they get together? Eat people? <laughs> Sounds like it. I heard something about flesh and blood. just to help them over some of the weirdness hump to watch us sing and to watch us pray and to listen to me and to, hmm, not quite as weird as I thought it might be. 
or more weird than I thought it would be. Or, the reason I mention this is because every kind of word communication is different from other kinds, and they all have their place. What I'm doing right now is appointed in the Bible to have its unique place. It's not by any means the be-all and end-all of Christian communication. It's one thing. It's called preaching. God has appointed preaching for an end. And he's appointed other things for other ends. So it may be that the person you know, after all these conversations, is appointed to hear me and be saved. Or may work exactly the other way around. An unbeliever and sitting in this room for five years. And you go out to lunch with him and say, don't you think it's about time you stop sitting on the fence? And he says, yeah, I do. What should I do? And bang, he's yours. Glory, written down in the book. God is so creative and different. Or, if you're in this internet age talking to them about church, and I'm not going to a church, a Baptist church? You've got to be kidding. I am not going to a Baptist church. Then you might say, well, you know, like everybody else in the world, we got websites. There's a desiringgod.org and there's hopingod.org. And my pastor gives a little five-minute welcome about what we're about at hopingod.org. If you go there, just click, and then in the safety of your bedroom, you can watch him for five minutes and See what you think. Then we can talk about it. So that's another way. So I did it this afternoon, and it was broken. So I, <laughs> so I called Joby and Andy. They were working on it this afternoon. They'll get it up fixed. So now check it out before you tell the neighbor. <laughs> we got a director of communications coming in uh, about 14 days, and I will be so thrilled because we'll get all over that website, and it will be way more usable than it is now because the potential is huge. So that was number seven. Invite people. Let them sit beside you. I've got so many stories I'd like to tell. Um, I better keep going. But I, I was just in Wales this week, and Scott did some amazing things, and, but I may come back to that. Number eight. When the apostles were put on trial in Jerusalem, one of the things that the chief priest said to John and the others, I love and I want it to be true of this city. He said to them, furious, you have filled this city with your teaching. I said, yes, oh, yes, that's what the internet's for, that's what... That's what churches are for. Church planting is for that. You just, there are, there are going to be 4,000 of you in these seven services this weekend. 4,000 people opening their mouths five or six times is 20,000 words, plus a bunch of emails, plus a bunch of book giveaways, plus all kinds of hands of service. And if all the other churches did it, somebody just might say, you Christians have filled the Twin Cities with your teaching. And we would say, that's the point. We're here not to force anything on anybody, but you're not going to get away from the news. There's news, news. There's healing, there's salvation, and we don't want you to be able to escape it. Number eight, well, that was eight. Number nine, be encouraged that all of us have different gifts 
and should not try to imitate everything about anybody. Catch this. I'd love to preach a whole sermon on the next one minute. But just, I'll just say it. Every Christian should be a servant. But some have a gift of service. Every Christian should have a heart of mercy. But there is a gift of mercy. Every Christian should speak to others about Christ. But some have a gift of prophecy and exhortation and teaching. And the point is that we're all in this together and we're all different and we all should be growing in all these ways. But some of us are good at one and not another. You just got to find your niche. You got to find, okay, um, I don't think I'm ever going to be that. So what am I? I'm on the planet. I'm a Christian. God is calling me to be used in evangelism. What's my niche? And you find it and you push it for all your worth. That's pretty much the way I live my life. You wonder, what, what, what are these? What are these? This is my niche. That's all it is. I can do this. There's so many things I can't do as well as you, but you don't do this. This is my little thing. And I'll be spanked by the Lord for all the stuff I leave undone, but I'm trying to just be faithful to my little bent. I got a bent. I really, 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 really love to write. So, okay, that's a given. Now what do I do with it? I can write about golf. I really couldn't. It would be so funny. It would probably sell more books. <laughs> but it would be a waste for me. And golf to the glory of God. I can see it. I would have to learn to play first. That's my niche. You got a niche. You've all got a niche. You really do. I promise you, you do. You think you're just a nobody. You get on your face before the living God and say, okay, I, what, do, what can I do? What do I love to do? And you may write the book on golf to the glory of God. And I'm, that's not a joke. The other was a joke. That's not a joke. If you shoot in the 60s, write the book. I mean on 18 holes. Number 10, and we'll be done. You would expect me to end this way at Bethlehem, I suppose. Oh, shoot. I forgot to bring him. Mark Dever, personal evangelism, just published last year. J.I. Packer, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Will Metzger, Tell the Truth. Three books on evangelism because this sermon is over. And your reflection on these things isn't. Hundreds of things I haven't said. And those are three books I recommend. I think they have a bunch of them in the bookstore. If not, they said you could sign up for them and get a special deal if they have to order more. So there they are. Packer, Evangelism, the Sovereignty of God. Uh, Mark Dever, fresh off the press from last year. Personal Evangelism. And Will Metzger, been around for 25 years. Uh, tell the truth. We brought him here and did an evangelism thing with him. What, Tom, 20 Five years ago, he came and helped us. Closing plea. Bethlehem, would you join me in praying Acts 4.31 for each other? It goes like this. Um, when they had prayed, so prayer. When they had prayed, 
they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what was the effect? Lots of things happen when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But this is the one that happened in Acts 4.31. When they had prayed, uh, the place in which they had gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. So if you wonder, why aren't we more bold? The answer is, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's real simple to pray for the fullness of the Spirit. Every Christian should pray daily for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit falls on a person in fullness, joy abounds, assurance abounds, courage abounds, and we open our mouths and speak, and that's what we need most. So the table is out there in all the campuses. I expect uh, those things to disappear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now we've talked here and tried to put things for these many weeks on regeneration in a biblical perspective. And we see the implications. People are born again through the living living and abiding word of God. This word is the gospel which was spoken to you. And so we need to tell the gospel story from hearts of love and lives of service. Would you grant us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might with boldness open our mouths and tell people about the Lord. People need the Lord and we are your instruments. I ask this in Jesus' name. And Lord, before I say amen, it comes to my mind that there may be there may be unbelievers who are sitting there listening to all this and Maybe, this would be a a strange and wonderful thing, maybe they're being drawn to be one of these gospel tellers. And if that's the case for you on any of these three campuses, there are these response boxes at the back. If there's no time for you to talk to us here, there are response boxes back there. And I pray, oh God, that you would cause them to put their name down, and their phone number so that we could be in touch with them in the coming days. In this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.